Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, that's not a TV show. But it is. But it is. It It is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Uh, you're not hearing his voice right now because I'm separately recording this intro because this is part two to a lengthy conversation we had with our excellent guests, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton. And I'm recording this intro at a different time to be spliced in. We're just going to pick things right up. Um, We kind of are joining a conversation here, just in case you're confused what's happening. We're about to start talking about the TV show Hannibal that then leads into a conversation about an unmade TV project that uh, Patrick and Marcus were working on. Enjoy. Because three years later, Hannibal comes out, that TV show, and it's like brutally violent on that yeah. one. I still don't understand how that was on NBC. Well, I know. We well, actually okay. found out. Oh. Found out. Well, well, I mean, it, it, it was a, um, it was a, a acquisition. They, acquisition. And so they, they needed it and they liked the title. And so they put it on Friday. If you remember, it still got good ratings, but they, I'm telling, I mean, they, they'll tell you different, but NBC just couldn't wait to cancel that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. And like we and we, we like we were huge fans. It's so good. Like I, I literally watched it. I think on the third episode, I picked it up after being told over and over, over dude, you got to watch, you got to watch it, watch it. And I watch it. I'm like, I stopped after the opening credits. I'm like, Marcus, you need to watch this show because <laughs> yeah. it's it was interesting how they use music. Like it, yeah. they, it, 
it's it was like the elegance of a film, but on TV. Well, it's and, also like a 4K Netflix cooking show level food porn yeah. too. It's like yeah. such a weird oh, aesthetic. It ignored every network note that diluted and punted significant horror from gracing television. And so we're in a meeting and we're at this, we're in a particular executive's office and we're thinking, oh, our icebreaker, our like get to know you is we're going to just say how much we love Hannibal. And then that's yeah. like, oh, can't stand that show. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like, and this oh, is like, like they don't do one any of my notes. They don't do any of like, oh, I see. Got yeah. It. And, wow. And I hit a nerve. Okay. Because we're like, we were <laughs> like, freaking high school with money. Stupid. We sold them something with with we were with Dick Wolf and we sold them something and the like tagline was saw an order huh and they which kills in the room by the way killed it and our, but our whole thing was like this oh you could put this on at ten o'clock after Hannibal or eight o'clock before Hannibal and they're like and they gave that response and Marcus and we're like you know you know how to read a room and someone's reaction like oh geez like they don't like it and then like we. You know, we we sold that pitch. Of course, that get, didn't get made either. Oh. And but then outside, I was like, Damn, how, like, what is the deal? Like, well, how do they not like Hannibal? And then we sort of worked it back, and it, okay, it was a uh, they licensed it from Gaumont, and so they, it wasn't their show. And you run into that political BS in network a lot, where it's not their show; they don't own it, and so they just finding reasons not to like it. So dumb. I know it's like stupid. And then like, yeah. So it, it happens. It happens every year, right? Like every year, there's yes. Well, Hannibal great show that gets canceled. And you're like, Hannibal oh, is oh. still being. Yeah. I mean, it's just like for rescue, for it, re- resurrection. It, you know. Like, and it's it's maddening because it's so hard to make a show a and be a good show, and then you have it, and you still get. Yes. The, the old end around. I like those Vincenzo and Itali episodes. They're so surreal. And I was like, I'm on TV, you know? It, they're yeah. beautiful. It, it's because the gatekeepers and all the folks that are paid almost to prevent creativity aren't part of the equation. Mm. And they have to show up and react to an excellent product. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I guess I will say too. And that, uh, like, come on. So obviously, you know, any any project dying is heartbreaking once you've gotten interested and invested some of yourself. Yeah. Um, yes. But I, at least I know from my own personal experience, the only thing that really helps with that at all is already having another project going. Yeah. Well, did it help keep you guys sane during this crucial point that you could always kind of be like, well, we're doing another Feast movie. We're doing another Saw sequel. Yeah. Yep. That just it, kind of yeah. pulled you along. It's simply best to hunt with a shotgun if you want to keep your marbles, not a, not with a rifle. So yeah. if you take one shot and that misses, well, hey, you can't explain that to the landlord, to the mortgage. <laughs> you know I mean? So it's you, you know, the the art and commerce have to be in constant negotiation with each other for a sense of security, sense of, sense of confidence, but also just the to keep the fight and keep evolving. It helps to have a mind be able to explore and push in many directions at once because it, I think it kind of keeps the yard fresh. Well, and these things can end so abruptly, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, especially on TV, you're just like, I mean, they grind you on the T like a network of like, 
You sold it. Oh, here's the date. We need the outline. We need the treatment. Now we need the first draft. Now we need the second draft. And now you've turned it in. Three days later. Oh yeah, pass. It's, it's dead. <laughs> oh no, we're totally going to shop it around. Like, no, you're not. It's dead. Move on. And yeah, if you don't have, like we had that. So we had, we sold something called Monstropolis to ABC again, as if we hadn't learned the lesson the first time that they don't do genre movies, genre shows. That one we sold like very competitive situation, like big, huge penalty against it if they don't make it. And we had like, it was like a dream. Like we had barely, we only sold it to the one person who was, who was the buyer in the room. That's the only person we were giving it to when we were turning in. We had notes like, oh, there should be a colon on page two. And like, like, oh, we turned it in before Thanksgiving. If people don't know the cycle, like they make the decisions right after the new year. Before Thanksgiving, we're like, clearing our plates of like i'm like honey i'm gonna have to move to new zealand to make this show <laughs> get the kids ready and like and we're like we're gonna get the pickup down a budget we're we're gonna get the we're gonna get for the pilot and we're like wow that's awesome we're, we're, yeah we're gonna get the we're gonna get the pickup before uh before you think you're gonna get it before christmas oh it doesn't quite come and then, and and then, this is the slight slight tangent. This is right when uh, Grand Theft Auto Five came out. So I was I dedicated my my Thanksgiving to Christmas to win the game, and so doing no other work, naively not doing any other work because we were just pretty dead set that with the penalty and all that, this is going to be we're shooting this very soon. And then you know, New Year's comes around. We're expecting it on like the second or third. Well, we're going to get the call, not the call, and then on like the eighth, we get the call. Yeah, the network doesn't want to make a show with monsters in it. And we're like, it's called fucking Monstropolis. I didn't know like, that a few <laughs> months ago. Yeah. Ah! And then, of course, yeah. you know, it wouldn't take much yeah. to see like you do the math and the person who bought it uh, and, the you know, the person who said no to it, the person who yeah. said no two months later is fired. Fired. Person who bought it is exalted, and like, yeah, I I have to imagine like we we can we can share our stories from a particular rung of the ladder, but the more you hear about what happens at the top with the constant executive shuffle, like, how do they? I don't know what they. I don't. I I, sometimes you you want just for to not make anything at that you know up here because it seems like any decision you do make with confidence is oh. Well, yeah, I, I, as a writer, I hate executive notes, but if I'm being a bigger person and just viewing everyone as human beings, their existence seems terrifying to me. Cause like, they're all just constantly getting fired and moving to other companies and doing the exact same thing for two more years and then getting fired. And then, well, I mean, you're, 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 you know, the entire premise of your show is essentially that is these people, what generally happens, right? Is that, well, our executive got fired. Oh, shit. And then some new person came out and was like, ugh, horror. No, or just simply can't endorse a previous regime product because this is my reputation now. And you see good things die left, right, and center. Or like, sounds like your Monstropolis thing, something that we all have to learn the hard way, uh, is that even after just like all these rounds of notes and you're getting kicked up the ladder, usually you're still stopping not all the way up the ladder. So you're doing all this work to quote unquote finalize your product, but then the end result is then they finally show it to the actual big boss who knows nothing about it. And it might be as simple as like, I don't want to do a show about monsters. Uh, And then that's it. Well, what was the premise? Like how, what was the show going to be? I really enjoyed it. It was, um, the idea was that, uh, you know, 
at the turn of the century during the great last century during like the great migration when everyone's coming over from asia and europe um showing up at ellis island uh monsters started showing up like um and so and they weren't allowed to uh, they were allowed in the country but they weren't allowed to enter the country other than staying on um the island of manhattan and so monsters live there it's like you know like you know it, but we were using characters like um you know uh, like uh, uh, dracula frankenstein you know the wolfman stuff like that and they and they were all stopped at ellis island forced to live on manhattan island and um and they, inter and they intermingled with humans. So humans could go in and go out, but the monsters had to stay there. And so we flash forward to present day where um, it's now a functioning world and you have the, the, the humans and non-humans. And um, uh, we're at a, the turning point because they're like the, the human suffrage or non-human suffrage movement is going on and uh, the, the prominent monsters start being murdered. And so the story was about a human character who uh, who happens to be named Van Helsing, who was <laughs> yeah, from the Van Helsing who who had to not kill monsters but help them and uncover this mystery going forward. Blah blah blah. He like you know he loved he loved a monster a female monster at some point and he couldn't be with her and then he rekindles that. And she loved him because he he never called her a monster. He called her yeah. her name. Yeah. And so you can't, it was like, like the beginning, you know, the just except that these defects are all surrounding a heart that he was with. And I, what I loved was that Pat found cool metaphors for some characters. So Dracula was Gordon Gecko, Michael Douglas. Only all the shareholders would have all their parties during the day so he couldn't go because they were afraid of him. And, oh, yeah, the, yeah. and Frankenstein was reinterpreted as someone put together from every shade of skin, had an organ from every type of body gender had a brain that could accept every religious philosophy he really was not a piece of other people he was a piece of everybody so he becomes their voice and he is wise and you just all he has to do is show his hand and it's everything is there i'm a and he was the, he was the he was the deputy mayor and so he was like the cool. one monster who assimilated better with the humans mm -hmm. um, but he still had like connections with the monster underworld he had like the, the wolf man like the werewolves were like the gang sort of the gang element the of bikers, it all a la sam elliott roadhouse like the that's, that's the main <laughs> one that, that, that's big that, that's wolf dad yeah. so he'd pull up and be like heard you got a problem yeah, Central. You couldn't go to like Central Park was off limits after night because that's where all the ghosts live. And so, like, if you went in there, like, you're fucking you're not coming out. You're fucking crazy. So, like, you know, we have the the chase scene where Van Helsing is being chased, and he he like the only way he can go is into the um into into Central Park and the ghosts. Blah blah. Oh, and then and then so it was the bad guy, or like our our villain. What was it? What what was the name? It was um. Oh, uh, his name was like Dr. J. Kelly, J. Kelly. So, and if, but if, when you re, you, it, it also spells Jekyll. Oh. So, he, so, so, so I'm, I hope we don't get made because I'm keeping it all the way, but it was the twist that he was the monster and he was, and he was, so he was a monster at night. And the, then this, like the, the guy who was leading the, um, who was suppressing the, the not the non-human suffrage movement. And he had the zombie squad was his were his men. So like so he had they're all zombies, the men who worked for him, and then they showed up. They were all in like you know black gear with their with their blue faces. So you couldn't smell them coming. 
because they yeah. were and, then, and so they just and this, and so it was like they're, they're like a stormtroopers you know and so and they and those two the they had a path it was it was fucking good man it was like but it was so big and just like it, there's no way a network could ever make that movie. well where did so where did the show no it's like with all these amazon and apple like it sounds perfect for like netflix like i'm shocked you you gotta be able to get that made today it's it's all it sounds fantastic yeah. it really would work today I, you know, it would be great, one would think. But then the probably the truth that would come out is how much is against it? How much do you have to pay to get get it out of there? How similar is it to X, Y, and Z that have happened since then? Wow. How, and then it, 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 so it has hurdles. Um, but but you know, we, thought we, were, we thought we were clever because we were using the um, I, Universal Monsters, which are public domain. And just even that alone, we thought like, oh, it's a show with all the, you know, all these the biggest IP in the world. And it'd be amazing how people would just sort of shrug at that. Like, eh, whatever, it's, it's horror, you know. Was the other limit to anthology movie or? Uh, I, I, I love that one. That was, ah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 but well, I mean, it, yes and no. It, 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 yes, in that like the outer goes, yeah. is happening to each member of a family and it seems like significant episodes are happening to them. So those anti-misfits are happening to uh, this character. And um, it, oh, man, I did, it was like, that's another yeah, one of those, because like, ah, the, the, the one thing I wish we could take and or, or someone take and put it in the Ultimate Outer Limits movie was the opening credits. We control the vertical, we control the horizontal. <laughs> that was a plot. Yeah. So yeah. at the all is lost moment, when these people are realizing that they're all being targeted by a different sci-fi trope. That's when everyone's TVs and smart device goes, we control the vertical. <laughs> right. And you realize that it's actually a secret remake of the of a particular episode, the litmus test, where you're like, oh, wow. It's, it's an invasion giving every type of invasion to a, a town they've built. And the people are waking up like the Truman Show until the end of the yeah. yeah, they're pretty good. Maybe we should try this other planet. <laughs> so, because with that one, they had they had had other screenplays with that one, and our whole take on that was that you can't. It'd be sort of a disservice, I think, to the brand of the Outer Limits to just take one story. And so, um, it's not called the Outer Limit. <laughs> yeah. So, so our take was let's take, I think it was at least four or five of, of the, um, you know, most known stories and let's interweave them like Go or Pulp Fiction and then give them a, you know, framing device that, that works. And the framing device was the, was the, what's it, the litmus test? What was it called again? I believe, I believe it was, oh no, it was the blankety blank test. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the one, there's, it's the one where. When these they, things are like, ripped out of your lives, you kind of. plain invasion. Yeah, so you put them in a box somewhere, not unlike Danny Torrance and Dr. Slick, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. like, like we're opening these and just like, uh. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but you know, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was pretty smart. And then, oh, then the executives got fired and the new group came in uh, and they were like, it should be one story. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that noise sums up uh, a lot of this process. And like when doctors sleep though, eventually you got to open those boxes back up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah, take well, the overlook down. So to well, a few stones. Uh, so Pacific Rim led to God of War. That was Guillermo del Toro yeah. doing us a giant 
career shifting favor. And he called the president over there who we were meeting with, Mr. Kirsch. Kirschenbaum. Uh, yeah, Jeff Kirsch. Kirschenbaum. Yeah. So when he came in, he's like, hey, I just got a call from Guillermo del Toro. We're like, yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, it was a dream come true. And that already had a good script by David Self, uh, who did, you know, Road to Perdition. However, this was in the crux of the Clash of the Titans reboot and the Wrath of the Titans reboot. Yeah. And so the villains and opponents of Kratos were the same that were just featured in these big budget slick movies. So uh, our way in to having anything to say in an adjustment to an already great David Self script was really starting with building Kratos from a point of an opponent and also giving Kratos some things to lose along the way. Yes, he starts, you know, there, there's something so wonderful and brutal as a warrior tricked by uh, uh, the god of war into destroying everything he loves. Now he's stuck covered in ash with swords welded to his fists. Like, yeah, he's declaring war on a god. This is a big story. So, a la Conan of 82, we wanted to give him someone that could represent the voice to poke a little holes at the exorbitant alpha going on, another person to remind him of his humanity, and then people that despite all the rage he has, uh, you know, in his tank, moments that of him being a father, moments of him, because in the video game, that was the one way we went in hard on, hard on that was, dude, you got this guy and we're supposed to feel bad for him because he just lost his child and wife. And then in the next game scene, he has a dalliance with, uh, you know, a, a, a person of night. And it's like, I don't, now I don't care for that man. So if we're going to adapt <laughs> him into a world Let's start with Conan, who is just this beaten, you know, person who was given a glimpse of poetry and love, then yanked from it. And now in what he's learned of violence, he's going to find love and peace again. And ooh, that was delicious. So that whole process in rapid fashion to get to kind of the goods of it, to show you how close this thing was, um, budgets were being made where we had to change a fight in the water to a fight in the sand because the FX budget would, uh, we could sneak it in under the wire. If it was sand, water would be a little more, a little more costly. And if we wanted to go R, it has to be 95 million. If it is PG 13, you can go over to 120. Um, should it be, and these are names, you know, that only these these people in these towers can say, should Kratos be Christian Bale or Tom Hardy? Both uh, both are really great and can do anything. And so we're sitting there like, holy cow. And now to paraphrase a moment like that happened so swiftly, we're in the elevator with a wonderful producer and we're we're jazzed. We get home, we get an email. Oops, sorry, someone forgot to re-up the rights. This is dead. Oh. Oh, you, I mean, you, you, you didn't, I mean, it was, it was, we, yeah, we were, um, we did the first draft and everyone's very excited about it. We had the meeting with the executives. We were talking about who's creative going to be. Is it going to be Brad Pitt, Christian Bale, or Tom Hardy? Yeah. Oh, and Alex Gartner, who is this great producer, him and um, Chuck, Chuck Groven. Oh. Uh, Alex, Alex is like, oh, look what, um, look what Dwayne Johnson just sent me. And oh, it was him, right. him working out in look dressed up like Kratos <laughs> in Kratos makeup and keep in mind this is like he was he just not, not no this is before Hercules he's not because because he didn't do he, he we couldn't get ours going because they weren't going to commit they didn't want to commit to him because he wasn't quite who he is now and 
it was just in the in-between stage and then he ended, went off and did Hercules and ended that thing. And so, but it was, it was, it was, it was that. It was like, we had, we were that close on it. We're talking about, yeah, the, the effects, it was going to be R-rated, uh, $90 million. Um, you know, the difference between how to do, you know, CGI water versus fire, fire is easier. So that's why some stuff changed to that. And then um, we were given notes to go off and execute the latest draft and it was, and then, um, yeah, we got a call like two weeks later saying, oh, hey, the studio didn't up the rights. And it's yeah. amazing, Brutal. again, just on our show, how often with adaptations, that is actually the reason it didn't happen is just that the rights lapsed, uh, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, again, I guess uh, Hellraiser, that was the Weinsteins were doing it right just cranking out their weird wood sequels they were doing for years. So the rights wouldn't lapse. Um, going yeah, into God way, of- I'm, I'm happy oh. he brought up earlier that Bob wanted it to be the teenagers because eventually with Hellraiser, they, they tried to do the PG 13 one with the teenagers after the martyrs guy. Well, there was yeah. two more writers after the martyrs guy. And then they tried to do the director of the roommate with a PG 13 one with Amber Heard. And then, so I'm kind of happy you brought that up. So now that totally makes sense, you know, because so many people are angry. But if know. ever there was a franchise that should not be PG-13, it's hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. he, the problem is that, yeah, you know, I don't think Bob ever quite understood what that movie was. And so, or he recognized it and wanted to ignore it. You know, it's just, um, it's not, you know, and he said once, he's like, he's like, he was like, oh yeah, um, you know, uh, they, you know, I'm stuck with, I got, I got Pinhead. They, you know, this guy has Michael, this guy has Jason, I got Pinhead, you know? Um, oh no, that, no, Freddie, it was Freddie because he actually had Michael, right? <laughs> Which was what we're getting to. And, yeah. and yeah, so he was like, they got Freddie, they got Jason, I got Pinhead. And so he was always trying to sort of like, you know, uh, jam Pinhead into a wider audience. And it's just not, it's like, it is a niche type thing which interesting, interestingly is works much better now with I think streamers and all that. Well, like you could actually, you'd actually make a good. Yeah. Uh, my buddy, Mark Fortin, who wrote, co-wrote the final girls. Excellent. Mm-hmm. At a horror comedy uh, with the other Joshua Miller. <laughs> Not yeah, me. I, gotta, I, I, I got them. a lot of congratulations when that movie came out and I'm like, no, that's uh, the, the actor yeah. from the eighties and nineties, Josh Miller. All grown up now writing awesome movies. But Mark, um, put it great uh about hellraiser franchise which was that the first two hellraisers are these great like kind of kinky gay perspective horror movies and then with part three it just became a movie for straight dudes um because they were just trying to make pinhead into freddy krueger and so Mm -hmm. that makes sense that bob just like he couldn't he didn't see what the real appeal of the franchise was he was just looking at it as this name he owned it, uh, yeah. Well, plus there was that there was that streak when they had very healthy budgets for their direct to DVD films, like five, you know, seven million dollars for you know White Noise two. I mean, those uh, were the days. Yeah, yeah. right. And they would shoot on thirty five, no questions asked. Blah blah blah. Um, it was a you know in that era, which I think we're kind of getting back to because streaming's like or can have bigger budgets than cinemas. However. For Hellraiser, they had a stack of screenplays, they being Dimension, that they would just start adding Pinhead to um, at the end to yeah. make Hellraiser sequels, right? So you have a great Scott Derrickson movie, 
and he gets to put Pinhead in there. But hey, it gave a great voice an an, an opening. And Mm -hmm. then watch that man run. It's just an interesting, because they did the same thing with the Die Hard movies. It's like all the Die Hard sequels were based on books that weren't Die Hard movies. But I was always like, how hard is it to just hire Stevie Nee D'Souza to write an original John McClane movie? But whatever, topic for another time. The first Die Hard was was based on a book that wasn't a Die Hard movie. It was a Frank Sinatra thriller. The Detective, or that was was based on that, yeah. Or it was a sequel book Mm -hmm. called uh, Nothing Lasts Forever. But anyway, back to God of War, though. I didn't want to dig in a little deeper because uh, I do think it's interesting, again, just how these outside forces that you couldn't really, they couldn't do the strict adaptation of the first game because of other movies that were coming out. Although I often feel video games, they are such a different art form that they almost start, even the first ones often feel like sequels. They always have these really dense backstories where as like a, film writer i'm often just like oh but that story is so interesting this tragic mm-hmm. backstory they're getting to was that kind of part of how you guys were trying to reframe how to do something differently was just thinking of like because it almost sounds like what because i haven't played any of these games sorry so i'm speaking a little out of ignorance but i just know with the newest one where they also called god of war the newest of the games where it's kind of like a prequel a bit right Yes, and it gave him character development and heart. You see the commercial and he's walking with his little boy. So when we went in, we were like, let's not, let's challenge ourselves to never talk of the video game. Let's talk about a good movie that stars this guy. And then we kept going back to Unforgiven. And so Unforgiven is now, that's a cool character. That's a nice uh, structure. And it's saying something about what we do with the violence left in us, maybe when the battle has yet to be fought or is long over. So the person with nothing to lose really doesn't, where's the purpose for that? And, and that was nice. And then all of a sudden we were building a movie, not talking about like, well, how do we get to the screen grab of his dalliance with the gypsy? Like, no, <laughs> no, you know, you know, you, you, no loyalty to that stuff. That's for well, buttons and arrows and all that crap. Yeah. That's for a moment. And there was some, you know, obviously stuff that we pulled out from the, you know, the canon. Um, and, but he has, he's, what is this shit on him? Oh, it's the ash and blood from his wife and daughter. Okay. Did that, like you said, you're like, oh, what, what, that, well, how'd that happen? <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, you know, you do that. And once you tell that story, you're like, oh, geez, I'm totally in. So it's, it's it becomes a revenge story. Like, right. Yes got to kill Aries and you're like, yeah, I'm down for that. And then, you know, that's how it started. I think we should essentially just pitch that of like, we did. and then like, and I, uh, essentially that, you know, it is, it's like, you want to hear what's the first act, what's the setup and oh yeah, stuff happens. And then, you know, that's, that's essentially what it was. And so, um, you know, we, we, I had played the games and, um, and then I think they were working on the, Ascension is that the third, that's the third game or fourth game? It was one of the ones. I think another game coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it was interesting because I think it was Ascension. I don't know if that's right, but it was the one that didn't do all that well. Maybe the third one, and then the and then the new the newer one when he has the beard. Yeah. When you know he's serious now because he has a beard. <laughs> yes. That's the prequel version, and that was much more the vibe of what we were going for, and 
I think in the failure of that one, because we were, we were meeting with them. We were talking with Sony games and talking to them about like the character and, and what it means and what it means to them. And they were terrific. Like they had a, you know, a few people there that were completely versed in all the different stuff. And so, and, and, you know, it was interesting because they, they were pushing us to go further to like, to not worry about mm-hmm. the video game stuff. Cause there's so much stuff just to kind of just make a great story. And they, they liked the dark, darker kind of vibe um and uh really get into his backstory and what makes him tick and what makes him mad and making it the story of vengeance you know so, so it, it was all it was going great wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and the right slap and, but so yeah so the right slap but you wonder that's you know it's i'm i'm sure it, it's it, we don't quite know the whole story but it was more than just oh whoops we forgot to up that it was that at that moment sword and sandals were kind of not that in um the the game wasn't at its peak uh you know sort of um whatever popularity uh and so yeah the moment had passed which is always another shitty feeling yeah tells me it's like my favorite genre (laughs) one of my favorite genres besides horror films and to know that you had the the rock could have been in it battling monsters oh it kills me you're in this story. yeah yeah and and um yeah so it was, it was bummer bummer yep. but such is life i mean we've kind of teed up should we get into the biggest bummer um well, almost well, actually, we had oh, wait, where you gonna say? have one more you go oh i was gonna ask about waterproof yeah i had that too well, over here <laughs> Presenter, I mean, I I wonder if that maybe we glance over that one because I, I honestly don't know its its status. Maybe that's something. Oh, that that's could... still uh, happening. No, well, I mean, oh, no. I know that it will or <laughs> totally, it's totally dead. It was it, it was it was it, where where it is. I, I I it's at legendary and it was an idea of Thomas Toll, uh, and it, it it was cool. It was a cool idea. It was the it was the you know um. You remember those old magazines that would be, that you would order stuff out of the back of magazines? Yeah. Um, like, um, uh, what, what are they? The, sea the, monkeys. The, <laughs> sea monkeys, yes, sea monkeys. And so you could order them and maybe they come, maybe they didn't come and whatever. And so it was like, I'm just, this is my recollection, but it was a kid as a young man orders, it was like monsters in a jar and they show up and then. Um, but not then. Now that he's an adult, they never showed up. And then in the town, oh, right, like who, decades who, later, who, yes, and he gets delivered. Old postal sorter, and there's this right. box that was stuck there. Yeah. And so now, yeah, holy yeah. cow, it was sent, and it's real. Yeah, and yeah, and then and then <laughs> I and love then that it, idea. And, and it gets it's a very it was very like you know ambliny before everything was completely ambliny, and then. Um, <laughs> And it, it, it was, um, what happened with it? We kind of, we, we, we did it right after Pacific Rim and then it just it could never quite get traction. And then Thomas Toll left the company and that was it. Bummer. It's funny you bring up Amblin. For years, my writer partner, that was always, we learned to stop saying it. We had to yeah. learn the high way. We always wanted to like tee that up in meetings. Like it'll be like a classic Amblin movie. And then eventually you're just like, people don't want that anymore. Cut to Stranger Things. You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, well, that's, how about this one? Where, where do you guys stand on the phrase elevated horror? <laughs> in that it doesn't mean anything? Uh, I had to look that up. Or, I mean, fact, and mind you, Patrick and I did not create this opinion, but this is a, an opinion we fielded 
recently from the, a friend who is at the tip top of a studio system and has been for decades. When he hears someone pitch elevated horror, he said, that tells my brain they don't know what damn thing they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that gavel coming down from there because online, no, it's like blood in the water. Oh, it means they're not doing it. No, no, no. Actually, it's, it's kind of like, it doesn't add anything to the operative word. Yeah, and this is a president <laughs> of a uh, studio that makes a lot of genre movies. Yeah. So when someone says elevated horror, I stop listening. Well, before we get to Halloween, I had one more. Is that Outliers? Can you talk about that? That was a fun one, too. Uh, it was a year after, right? Yeah. Outliers, I think, ultimately, I'll, I'll skip to its death. I think it died because there was a reboot of Flatliner. And so this, this was a, uh, there were some themes, not necessarily moments or techniques that were a bit too close. Like these were folks learning to emerge from their damaged bodies in, a, in another ethereal way and operate so and, and the fact that they were as characters outliers not fitting in here not fitting in there too poor to do anything but sit in the library but you got the brain to build a new world and somebody getting so damn frustrated we wanted to take primer really and give it a budget and a slightly different goal than where primer was the duplicity of time this was what if those primer guys were then like what if we can leave our corporal forms behind altogether and exist as air does exist in that realm, you know, uh, a human form of 5G with that power, you know? And then it's like, hmm, well, if I could walk through walls then, what would I steal? What do I want? And then their real character comes out as soon as they're liberated from accepting any blame. So I liked that. I thought that was kind of a cool. Yeah. It was, it was, it was at Fox and um, it was just one of those movies they didn't have to make. <laughs> and, so they, and so they didn't you know you know it is like yeah. you, you like as you, as an executive you're sticking your neck out for every project and there's certain projects you have to make because oh tom cruise is on this wants to do it has the time you have to make that so you notes have to be like awesome let's go sure whatever and then there's the other projects that everyone's wasting their time on that's just never going to get made and that was one of them and so there was, I mean, there's, there's quite a few, if, if we want to go down that <laughs> list, I mean, like the way of Kings, that was, that's a big, that book was a series. book. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, it, it was at, um, it was at a, you know, it just never got made. <laughs> it was at, well, was it, that's what we were told. This was the blow where we were like, <gasps> like, so Henry Cavill knows uh, the book and oh, yeah. he's interested in committing. There's this other project called The Witcher that he's, he's entertaining too, but we think he'll prefer uh, Way of King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah, it needed, it, it was at, what is, it, is it DMG? Is that the company? Um, DMG, Dan Men's Group, DMG. Yeah, and um, they bought a bunch of the, you know, uh, Brand, Brandon Sanderson books, like a whole series and a couple others. I think Mistborn, they have that too. Huh? And it was a great process, you know. It's a tough book to adapt. It was it's a yep. big book, and we. And now Wheel of Time is actually happening on one of these streamers. So who yeah, knows? He, the finished that, he finished that series. Yeah. I mean, it might. Who knows? It comes around. Come back. Comes back around. But it, it's a. It's a big, huge world. Mm -hmm. And. And I remember the one thing we did. Like you think, a, a Pat. What, what was the, the factoid? Like you know, it was. 1300 and something pages because that is oh, the maximum yeah. amount of paper a, a a novel can be bound 
Yeah. And yeah. oh, there's some number, and that is verbose. That's how, that was oh, yeah. um, that's the backstory of the original version of the stand. Oh, really? Because uh, I think yeah. there was a misconception that his editor wanted him to cut it down. In I mean, I think it was partially because it's like this is so long, who will buy it? But it was more that to have it be as long as King wanted it to be, it would be more expensive because they had to bump it up to a whole <laughs> other kind of like book now. Yeah. Uh, like double long kind. Uh, wow. Then obviously once he got to be key, the Stephen King, then he got to yeah. the super long one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, but again, so when we were going out with that and it was DMG, they were looking for a partner, like a Warner brothers or something like that. And, it came close, but it just, it wasn't like that type of movie wasn't in at that moment. And so, you know, they were going to bring, they, they were, they wanted to make it for like, you know, 120, $160 million, big movie. And they were going to put up half the money and they just couldn't get someone to do it. Like, uh, oh no, what it was, it was a uh, Paramount was like, oh man, if you would have just sent us to this last week, we're doing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> just instead. last you're like, week. You're like, eh. Oh, you guys just missed it. <laughs> yeah. If you'd shown it's us like, an okay. hour ago. But, but you know what it is? You go to, you, you know, as you're tra- you, the toughest question to answer when you're trying to sell anything is who's the buyer, right? Yeah. It seems well, obvious and you're like, oh, well, Paramount, no, they have Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, um, you know, Warner Brothers. Oh, they have, I don't know, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, um, and then, then you gotta you find the one person at the one company on that one right day. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's and it's, so that's as they say, every movie's a miracle. It's crazy. Yeah, um, it really is. Well, it let's is. maybe uh, hit pause there before we go on to Halloween. Well, thank you guys so much for being with here. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Instagram and we're on Twitter at Never Made Film. We also recommend you get the free app, the Electric Now app, so you can watch lots of movies and TV shows for free. You can also watch video of our podcast and our sister podcasts like the 430 Movie and Inglorious Trexperts. I'd like to give a thanks to Bill Redder and everyone at the Electric Surge Network, including our producers, Mark Altman and Dean Devlin. And until next time, I am Josh Miller, and this is Steve. (laughs) Our timing's not good on Zoom. That was Steve Scarlatta, and we won't be seeing you at the movies. And by the way, if anybody feels they're coming down with a euphoric high, you might have just caught Scarlatta fever. We've got it, and I got to tell you, it feels good. (laughs) Heyo! This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.